In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Three in One, who does keep His promise to us by His own blood. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what happens when you die? It's kind of a a stark question. It's a question that maybe might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Even if you are a person of faith, even if you are a person who believes that you will go to heaven and that you will be in the resurrection, there's still something about that question, what happens when you die, that has enough of the element of the unknown to it, that it brings up maybe some of those doubts, some, maybe some of those questions that you have deep down with inside you. And there's something to that question, I think, that gets played out this time of the year when we celebrate Halloween, as we celebrate uh, this, this holiday that has become markedly less spooky over the past few decades, but definitely started off as a very spooky holiday, a time when we would celebrate with tombstones and with masks and with all sorts of things that were kind of grotesque and we watch scary movies and the whole idea behind all of that stuff is that it's sort of an inoculation against this idea that, well, we're going to die. And so when we go through this yearly celebration of Halloween, part of what we're doing is we're trying to make sense of death. And we're trying to make sense of death in a way that maybe through what we do by dressing up as ghouls and dressing up as vampires and and skeletons and having weird stuff in our lawns, part of what we're doing is we're trying to convince ourselves that what lies behind the mask of death is no scarier than the inside of a latex rubber werewolf mask. But when we really come down to it, there is something about dying that is different about the rest of our existence. When we come down to it, death is different. And we only get one of them. And then it's over. It's not like we get to experience death and then do it all over again. Because that would be fun. And that's the way that it is with uh, what we're talking about today out of our reading in Hebrews. And out of our reading in Hebrews, there's this very important word that is used. uh, It's the word for covenant. The the Greek word here is is diatheke. Uh, So you you just learned your Greek for the day. Um, uh, Diatheke. And diatheke is uh, a word that uh, can mean several different English words. It's one of those words that uh, we were talking about one of these in Bible study actually today, where it's one word in Greek but can mean various different things in our culture today, in our language today. And uh, most of it uh, revolves around uh, contractual obligations and uh, agreements. And um, the, the way to really kind of understand it is in terms of covenant. And uh, we're kind of low on covenants these days in our uh, society. But but one of the the covenants that we still have is this covenant of marriage. And and if you think about the covenant of marriage, basically what is happening in that covenant, it's a a solemn vow uh, between two people that you are going to live and abide by certain rules. 
And those rules then are supposed to help keep you in that relationship that you have with one another. And so the marriage is not necessarily the love. The marriage instead is the thing that is supposed to hold you together, even in those times when it's difficult to love one another and you'll still get through it and you will sustain that love. It's this contractual agreement that you have to, well, not break up. And that's why marriage is a big deal. Because you are saying that even when we get into situations where it would be much easier for me to jettison you, well, I'm not going to do that. But even that covenant has some loopholes around it. Even had loopholes around in Jesus' time, there was the possibility of giving, getting divorced. And so, um, why would you do that? Well, most of the time, it was because there was something that you were looking out for. You were looking out for something in yourself, and, and that's still the case today, that uh, you have to put yourself into the equation of the marriage. Well, that's one kind of covenant that we have today. Another kind of uh, example of this word diatheke in our world today is the concept of contract. And uh, here at University Lutheran, we have just been wrangling with the wonderful people of Comcast about our contract with them. And there is certainly a covenant there because there is no love. However, we have an agreement that requires us to have this relationship with one another where we pay money and they give us a certain amount of service. And that's what we're kind of working through right now is uh, how much money versus how much service. But we have this agreement with one another. And both of us, both parties, still have something to gain and something to lose in terms of this agreement. We still have something where we're looking out for ourselves. And that's why we're uh, trying to read negotiate that contract currently with Comcast is that we think that we have a place to stand where we might actually get some more service from them. And so that's another kind of contract, another kind of covenant. It's this thing where there's a little bit of back and forth. And uh, the whole idea is that we have this, this thing that guards our relationship. Because uh, it, it, all of a sudden, it, it's not like I can just say, well, see you later, Comcast. I'm going someplace else. Because they will say, no, 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 no. You have a contract there, buddy. And so it guards that relationship. Well, there's another kind of uh, use of this word in the uh, translation of this word, do you think, that actually doesn't have that. that. That is actually a little bit different. And that is the use of, of this word in terms of it meaning a will, as in like a last will and testament. And, and that's a, well, that's a different kind of usage. Because if you think about what you're doing in a will, you quite literally are no longer a part of that relationship. It is you completely liquidating Anything that used to be attached to you. And so you no longer have anything to gain out of the relationship. 
all of a sudden, in a will, you have this, this new kind of contract, this new kind of covenant that says, well, I stand nothing to gain. And so simply what I am going to do is I am going to give all of this stuff away. And we have several examples of movies and, and other things that have come up in, in our society where people have tried to put conditions into their wills. One of those that happened recently in Japan is uh, a very wealthy woman who uh, was dying of cancer. She was about 65 years of age. She was dying of cancer, and she got very sort of spiritual with uh, this feng shui master, which I always thought was just about furniture, but apparently not. And what she did was she actually rewrote her will so that she would give all of his money to him, which was millions and millions of, of our American dollars. And in return, he promised her that if she gave him all of that money, that she would have eternal life. Well, I mean, what was she going to do with it anyway? And I think we get into a little bit of that, maybe not with feng shui masters, but we get into a little bit of, of bargaining with God about, well, uh, if I give you something, what, what are you going to do for me? And sometimes we look at God and we think that God is doing the same thing to us. We think that God is saying, well, uh, I'll give you eternal life, but out of that, uh, I need some bulls and some goats. Because that's what he was saying in the Old Testament, right? That's what they're referring to in Hebrews. Is that uh, God established this covenant, this relationship with the people of Israel. And then out of that covenant, out of that relationship, there, there was supposed to be this promise keeping. That's why uh, Moses, in our reading from Deuteronomy, restart what we have here is the beginning of him really sort of telling the people the law once over so that they can say once again yes we're ready to uh, renew our contract with god we're, we're ready to uh, say that, that we're on the line for this stuff and of course we know how that goes over and over and over again in the old testament that god continually looks at what what israel is doing and what the hebrew people are doing and that how they are continually not able to follow through on their promises and how they continually fail over and over and over again. And, and that's the case for us, too, in a way. I mean, if you think about it, think about the things that maybe you have promised God. Think about the things that you've sent to God. That you're like, well, I'm, I'm going to try to do better at this. I'm going to try to not maybe sin as much in this particular way. And maybe it was out of some kind of wheeling and dealing that you were trying to do with God where you were saying, well, if, if I promise not to look at this stuff on the Internet, that you will give me a real life human being. Um, or, or maybe there's something else there where um, uh, you didn't necessarily try to wheel and deal with God, but you've said, well, um, uh, God, I, I, I just love you so much and I want to show you that. And uh, out of showing, and this is how I'm going to show you that. In either one of those ways, you've probably found that, oh, 
Well, I failed. I thought I was going to get up early in the morning and read my Bible and pray. And, oh, well, it turns out I really like sleeping in. And so you weren't able to follow through on that. And that's who we are as a people. We, we are these people who tend to break God's laws. And so when it comes down to it, then there, there's this, this time that is coming for us in the future, this time of judgment, where uh, we are supposed to have all of those failures listed out for us. And it's a frightening concept. I mean, uh, some of that stuff is, is just put upon you, but some of that stuff you have actually promised. And God has the right to say, well, what about this? And you go, oh, well, I like sleeping in. And so the prospect of what happens when you die gets kind of frightening there. But there's something interesting that happens with what Jesus does. And that's really where our text from the Hebrews reading is going, is that Jesus steps into our lives. And when Jesus steps into our lives, what he does is he says, well, I'm going to take the covenant all upon myself. You guys don't do that well with this. So let me have that. You're not very good at following the contractual obligations of this whole relationship thing. And because of that, the relationship should bust apart. But let me change it. Let me do a new covenant and a better covenant, not a covenant made by human hands, but one that is made by the invention of God. That he came up with a plan even before our time, that he came up with a plan that would come and would rescue us. From our inability to keep the covenant. And that plan was that his son was going to die. And that his son actually had to die. Because I think a lot of times we don't really get that God has to be fair. Well, God is fair. It's not that he has to be. He is chosen to be. But he has to be, because that's who he is, has to be fair, and he is also merciful. And that means that in order to save your life, it's not like God can just look at your sin and say, Oh, well, that doesn't matter to me. We're good. It's all right. Because that's how we treat other people, isn't it? A lot of times... When we get into forgiving other people, we, we get into this, this thing of, well, I could hold you accountable for that, but I'm just choosing not to. That's actually not what God is doing here. God is choosing instead of not holding you accountable for it, he's holding somebody else accountable for it. He's holding his son accountable for it. It's not like he just snaps his fingers and the requirement goes away. No, 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 no. The requirement is still there. It's just that it's not on you. Instead, it is upon Jesus. And Jesus 
in his last will and testament, has said, here's what happens when I die. What happens when I die is that the people who have faith in me, the people that see me dying on the cross, the people that know that I died there for their sins, what happens is that they all get saved. They all get to come and be with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in a relationship that I have had with them since the beginning of time. That they all get to be in this resurrection with me. But the thing is that, just as the reading from Hebrews says today, that doesn't happen until he dies. And on this day, when we celebrate All Saints Day, on this day, when we think about all of those who have died before us, those people that maybe have included us in their wills, those people that have gone on before us, that what happens when they die is that they go, get to go and be with Him. Not because they were such nice people, because probably a lot of them were at least nicer than your old cantankerous uncle. But that's not why they're there. Why they're there is that they were in Jesus' will. And that Jesus had to die in order for them to be there. And they had faith in that. And so as we think about those who have gone on before us in this All Saints Week, we think not only about those people who have gone on before us, But we think about the one, Jesus Christ, Son of God, who died in our stead and then left us in his will. Amen. Please rise.